Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure. Take the adventure with us. With us. With us. With us. And welcome, everyone, to the 34 Circe Salon. This is the Parallax Channel, where we explore all vast and sundry matters from the ancient world to the cosmos. Uh, please be sure, if you're listening on one of the podcast platforms, to rate us or leave a comment. That always helps uh, move us up and get us more listeners to what we think are some fun topics. Today, we return to our series on classical studies. We call this Classical Studies 101. And uh, as always, our lecturer for today's class on the Iliad, which is what the topic is about, uh, we're uh, going on to chapter two. Our lecturer, as always, is the real-life Indiana Jones, Homeric scholar and archaeologist, Dr. Gary Stickle. Hey, Gary. Hi. Hi, Sean. Good to be with you again. So, Gary, when last we left off, we were in Chapter 2 of the Iliad. You were going through the catalog of allies, the allies of the Greeks in this case, uh, when last we left. And I believe you were up to the catalog of the allies of the Trojans. So do you want to just start us off and take us there? Yes. and It's interesting uh, how pervasive um, you know, Homer's Iliad and Odyssey are. Uh, Last night I was watching the show Jeopardy, mm-hmm. um, and uh, one of the one of the answers to the questions one of the questions was the Trojan asteroids. So, oh, interesting! Th- there's asteroids named after Trojans, and they're out there by our giant planet Jupiter in our solar system. I, I thought that was really interesting. Interesting placement for them, right by the father of the gods. Yes. So, of course, of course, Jupiter is the Roman name for Zeus, the king of exactly, the gods. Exactly. Right, yeah. right. Um, and we talked about the gods in the, uh, for those listening in an earlier episode, the principal gods that are involved in the Iliad. We went through the gods and goddesses because goddesses, of course, play a major role in this. And on our other channel, our Make Matriarchy Great Again channel, we talk a lot about uh, female mythology, women warriors. So look out and listen for that. So now we're in chapter two. You've kind of given us the setup historically and dramatically for the story of the Iliad. We are into the action, as you pointed out, in media race. We were brought into the action uh, in mid-story, or in end-story, really, in this case. And now we're kind of going back, and Homer is giving us uh, sort of the rundown, the lineup card, the roster for the opposing teams, as it were. So why don't you take it from there, Gary? Okay, great. Uh, anyhow, in uh, book two or chapter, they call them books, um, but they're chapters in the, the Iliad. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so <clears throat> it starts off here. But on the armies came, meaning the uh, uh, the Greeks <clears throat> that Homer refers to as the Achaeans, you know. But on the armies came as if the whole earth were devoured by wildfire. Yes. And the ground thundered under them, deep as it does for Zeus, who loves the lightning. 
Zeus in all his rage when he lashes the ground around the typh Typhonius in Arima. There where they say the monster makes his bed of pain, so the earth thundered under their feet, armies trampling, sweeping through the plain at blazing speed. Now the Trojans, Iris, the wind-quick messenger. Actually, in the Iliad, uh, Iris is a messenger of the gods and not Hermes, which uh, becomes that way in the in the Odyssey. That's interesting. What's the god's name? What's the uh, Iris? She's a goddess. And goddess. Yeah, you know, and her name is Iris. I R I S. I R I S. Interesting. Okay. Wow. So Iris, the wind-quick messenger, hurried down to. And this translation by Robert Fagels, he says Ilium. It really should be Ilios, which is the main uh, ancient Greek name for Troy. It wasn't Troy, it's Ilios. Mm -hmm. And that's why the book is called the Iliad. It means poem of Ilios. Right. So she uh, hurried down to Ilios, bearing her, her message sent by storming Zeus. The Trojans assembled hard by Priam's gates, the main gates of Troy. And then she meets Hector there. She says, Hector, I urge you, first of all, do as I tell you. Tell us of the armies of the allies who crowd the mighty city of Priam. But they speak a thousand different tongues. Fighters gathered here from all ends of the realm. Let each chief give commands to the tribe he leads. Move them out. Marshal his own contingents now, you know. And then it goes on. First, Hector. Mm -hmm. With helmets flashing, led the Trojans, Priam's uh, son, and, and in his command, by far the greatest and bravest army, their divisions, and so on. So, he, so he, uh, Homer starts relating the, uh, all the allies of the Trojans. So the noble son of Anchises led the Dardanians. Aeneas, and you liked Aeneas because yes. Virgil, the great Roman poet, wrote the Aeneid after Aeneas. Uh, so he is part of the Dardanians. That's the cheers for Rome. Three cheers for the great Roman Republic. <laughs> so Aeneas, whom the radiant Aphrodite bore Anchises, and down the folds of Mount Ida and so on. And then uh, came the men from Zelia under the foot of Mount Ida. Pandarus with his bow uh, also led them. And the men who held the lands of Apasis and Adrestia, men who held Pythia, um, Merops out of Percote Harbor, and so on. And the men who lived around Percote and Proctios, who settled Sestos, Abydos, or Abydos, and, uh, which is also a, a name you find in uh, Egypt, by the way, Abydos, mm -hmm. and Gleaming Arisbe. Um, Hippothoas led the Pelasgian tribes of spearmen. <clears throat> Achimus, the old hero, led the Thracians. You know, Thrace is uh, the northern part of Greece that arcs across the Aegean Sea. There were a lot of uh, great warriors, both male and female, that came out of Thrace, correct? Well, the most famous one was Spartacus. Sure, indeed, indeed. Although they, in, in I believe... One of the epic cycle stories, the Penthesilia, the uh, queen yes. of the Amazons, is is said to be a Thracian woman. Yes, I think you're right. So. And then uh, Euphemus led the Sicones. Now, the Sicones are on the Thracian shore. Odysseus, that's the first of his 12 stops. 
on his uh, Odyssey home is uh, the land of the Sikonis, mm-hmm. the Tikonis. Um, and uh, he raids them and, you know, steals from stuff like this because they're, they were allies of the Trojans. And then you have uh, Par- Parachamese led the Paeonians with reflex bows in their hands. Um, and uh, Pylamenes, a similar name, led his Paphlagonians out of the Anician uh, country. Uh, I like this name, Odious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, well, he wouldn't be happy with the name in our time, but what no, did no. it mean in his time? Yeah, I, I think it's funny. Odious and Epistrophus led the Halizonians out of uh, Libby. Chromus led the Mycenaean men. Ascanius, strong as a god, and Forces led the Phrygians. And interestingly, Forces is the name of the, the little harbor, little bay, that, um, uh, or it's also pronounced Forkies, um, mm-hmm. that Odysseus finally sails home to Ithaca, uh, you know, into that little little uh, harbor in Ithaca uh, after 20 years, 10 years of Trojan War, 10 years of the Odyssey home. Mm-hmm. So, um, Mesles and Antiphus led the Maeonians, proud contingent. And I like this name, Nasties. Ah. <laughs> led the Carians <clears throat> with barbarous tongues. We'll, we'll, have to, we'll have to resurrect that name for something, for some action film. Yeah, and uh, who led Miletus uh, and, and uh, Meander's, uh, River Meander, if you know where we get the word meandering river from. Mm-hmm. And then last of all, Sarpedon and Valent Glaucus marched the Lycians on from Lycia to the south from the river Xanthus swirling rapids. Mm-hmm. And so those are all the Trojans. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of uh, chapter two. Were did we talk about uh, a particular group of their allies that uh, were they not mentioned in that catalog? Uh, uh, a, a famous band of women. Yes, um, they. Uh, let me go back to that. I think I missed it. I'm sorry. I was about to say, where are our beloved Amazons? Yeah, just a second. <laughs> That was a delayed angelic choir for those listening, for those playing along at home. Yes. My friend is laughing here. Uh, Okay. uh, Just a second. I marked it, so why, why are I not finding it? We can wait for the Amazons. No worries. Um, yeah, I'm just. Um, no worries. Uh, well, I think what we'll do while you're doing that. I, I'm, is I'm sorry. I, we'll give it. We'll give a little interlude here. Yeah. It's a good time for everyone to take a break, grab some food, maybe run quickly to the bathroom and well, come back. Well, I'm, I'm just, uh, I know I marked it and I'm just not finding it, so um, sorry about that.
So it's not a problem. That was a little tune we had put together. I had kind of made up for something else we were doing where we had uh, had to take a break because uh, the lady had uh, dogs and the dogs were barking incessantly, excited about something, and we couldn't continue until we somehow got the dogs to calm down. So we had to wait for her to calm her dogs down. And then in the meantime, I put a little jazz and C while we were playing. It was an interesting episode. We were talking to a woman who was a rabbi. So we were talking about oh, really? spirituality, and female spirituality in Judaism. So that's on the Make Matriarchy Great Again podcast on the other channel for those listening. Okay. Well, Neil, um, <clears throat> well, Neil let's, let's go on to chapter three. I'm sorry. Okay. We'll circle back to the, to the Amazons. I'll see if I can help us track that down in the listing too. And I can give you that. So go into chapter three while you do that. I'll see if I can pull up some Amazon stuff. Okay. Thank you. Um, Now um, chapter three is, uh, you know, the the brief synopsis is uh, how Menelaus and Paris fought in single combat and uh, how Aphrodite rescued Paris and then how Helen and Priam reviewed the uh, Greek uh, army hosts from the walls of Troy. So a lot of interesting stuff in the chapter. Um, right. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> so he, he leads it off here with Pagels uh, uh, calls it Helen reviews the champions. Now the squadrons marshaled, captains leading each. The Trojans came with cries and din of war like wildfire, when the long hoarse cries of cranes sweep out against the sky, and the great formations of the birds flee from winter's grim, ungodly storms, flying in force, shrieking south to the ocean gulfs, speeding blood and death to the warriors, launching at daybreak, savage battle down from their heads. But Achaia's or the Greek armies came on strong and silent. I think that's interesting, the contrast between the two mm-hmm. uh, approaching armies. Breathing combat fury, hearts ablaze to defend each other to the death. So here, as the armies come together, Paris, you know, who's rediscovered re, uh, as a son of King Priam, and then he goes to find the most beautiful woman, which is Helen happens to be married to the king of Sparta, Menelaus. That's inconvenient. And she runs off with him back to Troy, and that starts the Trojan War. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the two armies come together, Paris apparently gets caught up in the moment. Now, remember that Paris was a buff cowboy. He wasn't uh, like he was depicted in the, the movie Troy. You know, by what's his name? I'm blanking his name now. Orlando Bloom. Orlando Bloom. Thank you. So you, you didn't think Orlando Bloom was a good choice for Paris? In no, that. because Paris is supposed to be a buff cowboy who uh, could defeat everybody in wrestling and boxing, even even Hector when he first went to Troy. Orlando Bloom doesn't look like he could defeat anybody in wrestling or boxing, to say the least. Yeah, well, you never know. He could be a judo expert for all we know. But I'm thinking Eric Bana, in your mind, would have been better who played Hector, if I'm not mistaken. He, he would have been a lot better. Yeah, uh, I, I, I thought okay. he made a, a good Hector, by the way. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so anyhow, as the armies came together, front to front, on the onset, Paris sprang from the Trojan ranks. 
a challenger, lithe, magnificent as a god, with the skin of a leopard across his shoulders, a reflex bow at his back and battle sword at his hip, and brandishing two sharp spears tipped in bronze. He strode forth, challenging any of the any of the Greek best to fight him face to face in mortal combat. So then, then look what happens. Soon the warrior Menelaus marked him, Paris parading there with his big loping strides, flaunting before the troops. And Menelaus thrilled like a lion lighting on a handsome carcass, as Homer describes it. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so Menelaus thrilled at heart, princely Paris there, right before his eyes, the outlaw, the adulterer. Now for revenge, he thought. And down he leapt from his chariot, fully armed, and hit the ground. But as soon as magnificent Paris saw Menelaus shining among the champions, Paris's spirit shook. So in other words, Paris is a, is a coward. Mm-hmm. And he backs into his friendly ranks. He cringed from death as one who trips on a stake. Um it trips it, on his- I think you've mentioned this before. It's a, it's a really interesting characterization for Homer. It's a very sophisticated characterization to have this yes. you know, macho-seeming cowboy guy who turns out to be, you know, a coward or, um, you know, as people would say, a punk in the uh, in in the real sense, right? He's not, he wasn't the tough guy. He just acted the part. He wasn't a hero that, right. was, that even his wife, uh, Helen, thought he was, you know. Well, it's a, well, again, a very, very interesting choice. And it also makes me wonder. I mean, obviously, Homer is a Greek. And, or we talked about the, the you know, for the listener, the question of Homer's existence and putting that aside, the assumption that Homer uh, was a, a, an individual who existed and was a Greek. It would make sense, though, he would characterize the guy who essentially cuckolded uh, the great Greek king to actually make him look like a coward. So it's, yeah, a, it's a very yeah. interesting choice. that Homer And look, and look what happens. Here, here's what happens. So he's near Hector, okay, the chief defender of Troy, his brother. At a glance, Hector raked his brother with insults, stinging taunts. This is a quote. Paris, appalling Paris, our prince of beauty, mad for women. You lure them all to ruin. Would to God you never were born, that you would have died unwed. That's all I'd ask. Better that way by far than to have you strutting here an outrage, a mockery in the eyes of all of our enemies. Why, the long-haired Achaeans or Greeks must be roaring with laughter. Wow. That is a rebuke. That is a famous rebuke. Well, you know, if if what Paris should have answered, he said, look, he's a lover, not a fighter. That would have ended the whole thing. This is how Paris does answer. Okay. And Paris, magnificent as a god, replied, Ah, Hector, you criticize me fairly. Yes, nothing unfair beyond what I deserve. The heart inside you is always tempered hard, like an axe that goes through the wood when a shipwright cuts out ship timbers with every ounce of skill and a blade's weight drives the man's stroke. So the heart inside your chest is never daunted. Still, don't fling in my face the lovely gifts of golden Aphrodite, not to be tossed aside the gifts of the gods, these glories. Whatever the gods give of their own free will, how could we ever choose them from ourselves? 
So anyhow, he, he decides to fight um, Menelaus after all. Yeah, well, which is which I think is uh, again, it's it's a human, a real humanization of a character. So yeah. he goes out, struts, he gets scared, and then he says, "Okay, well, I've got to do it, or I'm going to really lose face." And um, so he goes out and fights, and then um, you know, Menelaus is a better warrior, and he starts beating him down. He's about to kill him. But Aphrodite can't stand it, so she rushes in and causes a mess to happen, and she rescues them. Mm-hmm. And um, and so she uh, puts them down inside her bedroom. How about that? What a fascinating scene. I mean, it's a really complex, sophisticated structure. You've got this guy, this handsome guy who's the you know the ladies' man, right? And uh, the goddesses give him this choice. He's it's really a he's put in a tough situation having to choose among the three <laughs> goddesses. But he chooses it. He chooses uh, to to say who the most beautiful is, and is given Helen. Right. So now you've got that. So now he's put in this this difficult situation. Right. So yeah. then you get him now thrust. There's a war that comes about because of it. He's thrust into battle. He's frightened. He's rebuked. He fights. And then the goddess saves him again. The goddess that he chose. It's it's very interesting. Do you what? Do you have any thoughts on what Homer was trying to convey with that scene? Or what do you think of it? What's your take on it? I I think he's <clears throat> all the characters in the Iliad Odyssey are complex. They're not unidimensional, and that was one of my pet peeves with. Uh, the series Game of Thrones. Uh, the characters were just too, they're, they're all conniving mostly and uh, throat slitting or whatever. Well, you, here, know, you know I disagree with you on that except for season eight, which I can't even talk about. I don't know. It's like I pretend that was written by, I was a different series. But, but, yeah, uh, but I hear you. But all the characters in the Iliad Odyssey are just complex and Paris is one of them. Mm-hmm. But I want to read you this um, little piece here. Um, because uh, Helen um, goes up on the wall uh, of Troy with uh, King Priam to see the oncoming troops, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it said, <clears throat> um, and uh, they were gathered around Priam. Old chiefs of Troy, as they sat aloft in the tower, and catching sight of Helen moving among the ramparts, they murmured one to another, with winged words. I love that phrase, winged words. Mm-hmm. Quote, who on earth could blame them? <clears throat> ah, no wonder, the men of Troy. And, <clears throat> um, and, and, are, uh, and, and the Greeks under arms have suffered years of agony, all for her, for such a woman, beauty, terrible beauty. Mm. How about that? Yeah, it's, it's, again, it's, uh, Another interesting characterization. It's and it's it's a, the framing of it. Just thinking in terms of the stuff we talk about with women in the ancient world is kind of framing as you know this. She's the blame for this thing. Although, frankly, really, the well, gods get this. Were, get this. This is Prime's take on it. I thought mm-hmm. you'd like this. Sure. <clears throat> so Helen goes up to Prime, and. Um, uh, so after the murmuring of, of the old chiefs and, and Prime raises his voice, calls across to Helen, 
Quote, come here, dear child, sit in front of me, so you can see your husband of long ago, your kinsmen and your people. I don't blame you. No, I hold the gods to blame. They are the ones who brought this war upon me, devastating war against the Greeks. Really well said. Really well said. It was, it was the gods to blame, not Helen. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. the gods, not Helen. So It wasn't, it wasn't Helen. They, that's just the excuse. You know what I think is interesting too, Gary, is we talk about this work and we started this journey through this work because of something you had read about uh, an initiative of some people to not teach Homer or the Iliad or the Odyssey. And we talked about how important it was to teach this work. And I think when you listen to this and you listen to the complexity and the humanity of this, part of what happens is people don't read through all things. They don't listen through all things. And so they only take bits and pieces of stories. They cherry pick whatever fits their particular philosophy or axe to grind, right? Yep. So here you are talking about how Homer gives you a really full range and array of characters and characteristics um, in a story. And it's the kind of thing that people that should be taught and taught the way, you know, you're going through it right now so that people understand exactly this, this full, rich depiction of human life from 3000 years ago in the case that we're talking about, but how much it's still like what life is like today. And, uh, and then listen to this. It just shows a humanity in the story, you know, mm -hmm. And Helen, the radiance of women, answered Priam, I revere you so, dear father, dread you too. If only death had pleased me then, grim death, the day I followed your son to Troy, forsaking my marriage bed, my kinsman, and my child, uh, and the lovely comradeship of women of my own age. Death never came, so now I can only waste away in tears. But about your question, yes, I have the answer. And so she tells him, who the uh, leaders of the Greek armies are that are approaching. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, we're almost at the end of our time, Gary. So why don't we kind of, why don't we wrap up? Now there's, there. there's, there's okay. I found something about sure. the Amazons here. Oh, okay. Why, why don't we do that? Let's talk about the Amazons. We'll wrap up with that and then we'll pick it up with, with a little more. We'll keep going. We've got lots to, lots to explore in this. So tell us about the Amazons. And it's, it's Helen, you know, talking more, you know. Um, sure. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, and um, and it says, years ago I, I visited Phrygia, rife with vineyards. Saw the Phrygian men with their swarming horses there, multitudes, the armies of Otreus, Magdan, like a god, and camped there among the Sangarius riverbanks. And I took my stand among them, comrade in arms, the day the Amazon struck a match for men in war. Wow. That's, that's, that's King Prime talking. Talking about the Amazons, yeah. yeah. What we, the Amazons are our touchstone for, for 34 Circe. They are our um, shining lights because we are, so much of what we explore on all of the stuff is inspired around them and and also the desire to prove their existence specifically as amazons not as a female uh, band female grouping of another band but rather as a tribe of themselves so that is that's wonderful to hear well gary let's let's actually stop it right there 
Okay. And let's pick it up on next on our next episode. We'll finish through more of Helen and in chapter three, and we'll keep moving on through the Iliad. So and I you wanted- can see in this uh, mm-hmm. little the segment we're doing today the humanity and the interplay of these fantastic characters. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's it's why this book should be taught, must be taught. Because it's talking about humanity. It's talking about bravery. It's talking about cowardice. It's talking about love. King Priam loves Helen. He's not going to turn him over to the Greeks because he knows that they're not there for Helen. They're there to destroy Troy. Right. Right. Well said. Well said. Well, everyone, I want to thank Dr. Gary Stickle, as always. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. It's been fun. And I want to thank you all for listening. My name is Sean Marlinuk. I'm not sure that I introduced myself at the top. This is the 34 Circe Salon, uh, The Parallax. We have been doing our, continuing our series on classical studies, Classical Studies 101, and we are focused on the Iliad. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. Take care. 